listening to ACDCFans.net, the only ACDC podcast run by fans for the fans. to acdcfans.net the only acdc run podcast for the fans by the fans you can download our podcast on itunes for free and you can go on podomatic if you're an android user um, and you can leave a comment there questions if you if you have any uh, there's also a paypal donate button of course it's optional but no a lot of the time and effort it goes into making these shows uh, it's a lot of work so if you donate it'll not only make it easier for for us to run the show smoothly, but also allows us to get better mic equipment, uh, studio time, anything uh, to make the show and podcast better. So, Alan, we've got an interesting show today. Yes, sir. I believe the album we're covering is Ball Breaker. Indeed it is. My favorite album. Perfect. All right. So, we'll get into the year. This was 1995, so it came out the same year I was born. Fucker. <laughs> Whatever. I had Load come out the same year I was born, so boom. Alright, so came out September 26, 1995 on East West Epic and the producer Rick Rubin. What do you think about that one? Uh, Rick Rubin's a joke, man. He is, he is the were, uh, in my opinion, he's one of the worst producers out there. Um, he, he has a habit of turning everything up on full, which uh, I, I forget the term. It overloads everything and it makes it sound distorted on uh, distorted from how it would actually sound or whatever. Yeah, it's really, really bad. You, you, you know the term I'm thinking of. It's, it's clipping. Yes, clipping. That's what I was. He clips everything. Uh, he, he recently in 2000, not recently, but in 2008, he produced uh, Metallica's Death Magnetic. Um, now, I thought this was a solid album, but when it came to production-wise, it was it was horrible because Rick Rubin, Rick Rubin clipped it. Uh, I'm pretty sure he's, he's clipped everything he's done with the Chili Peppers as well. Um, so in my personal opinion, I'm not a fan of his producing style. Well, if you could believe this, during the recording of Ballbreaker, he would leave to go record the Chili Peppers. What? In the middle of recording, he would go and leave to do two things at once. That didn't in 2000 didn't Malcolm release in a in a statement or an interview or whatever, and uh, didn't he say that he regretted working with Rick Rubin? He did. Yeah. Ah, I would too. That is just. I would, if you're a producer, you're you got to be committed to to what you're working on at a certain day. Yeah, for for sure. Like when when you're talking ECDC, you're talking one of the, if not the biggest rock band on the planet right now, and and by rock band I mean like one of uh, rock and roll, right? And and that genre is pretty much gone now. Like the only the only rock and roll bands I'm aware of are uh, 77, 
yeah. Airborne and ACDC. And ACDC's uh, pretty much on their way out, unfortunately. Like Malcolm, of course, with the dementia. Uh, Rudd with the drug charges and, and whatever that are uh, I'm hoping to be dropped. Um, uh, like, uh, they're getting old, right? Like, what? They're in their late 60s, early 60s? Yeah, they're they're almost, uh, Brian's almost 70. Yeah, so, like, what's going to happen when ACDC wraps it up? What's the world going to do for rock and roll? It's kind of shocking. Yeah. Like, like personally... Uh, I'm I'm a metalhead. Uh, I listen to a lot of subgenres of metal, uh, probably 14 or 15 genres. I'm not going to get into them because it's just way too much work. Uh, and originally, when I when I first got into ACDC, I actually hated them. Uh, I used to hate Brian's voice and and same with Bond. Uh, and then Scala, the host of this glorious podcast, um, it was weird. He kind of sent me albums in a certain order, and I believe I believe the first album you sent me was Ballbreaker. Yes, it was it was one of the first. Yeah, and he gave them to me in a certain order, and I kind of just fell in love with the band. And, and this album, uh, to me, is is probably one of their top three best albums, in my opinion. Uh, to me, it was all killer, no filler. Like, it was just completely solid. It was really good. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I don't know. Like, fuck. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking in front of the... Uh, I'm looking at the uh, the artwork right now, and it's so good. Yeah. Um. Anyway, let's let's move on. Let's fucking get right into it, man. All right. So, 1995. Let's actually go back to 93. That was the year Rudd was actually formally uh, introduced as the ACDC drummer again after 10 years out of the band. So. And I know you with with metal, so you can probably talk more about Slade because I, I consider him as a, a power drummer, not really a rock and roll drummer. I don't know if I would consider Slade a power drummer. Like maybe maybe back in the day for sure, but uh, from what I've seen with the with the live ACDC now, he's using triggers. Um, to my ears, it sounds like triggers. I was informed by Jack Slade the son of Chris Slade saying that there are no triggers used. You spoke to Jack Slade? I spoke to Jack Slade on the forum. Guys on the forum, please check into this podcast. If you have any comments, please put them down. We'd love to hear from you, get more interaction from the, the fan site. Uh, but yeah, he told me that there are no triggers. Uh, I don't know, man. Considering that I, I listen to a lot of death metal, deathcore, grindcore, sludge, uh, and thrash. Now, the the good old thrash is is completely acoustically recorded. Uh, the newer stuff I listen to, heavily triggered. Now, I don't know if his his entire kit, like all the toms and stuff, are triggered. Uh, but it, to me, it sounded like the kick pedal was definitely, definitely triggered. Um, that one I heard too. Yeah, like it it sounds like a nail gun. They're artificial. They're they're meant to sound perfect, essentially. Um, because when, when it comes to metal and stuff, everything's so technical that it needs to sound perfect or else it just sounds all over the place, right? Um, so that's why I'm pretty sure they were initially designed. But the fact that Slade is using them in a rock and roll band, it, it just doesn't really make sense to me. Maybe his age is catching up with him and he's having problems stepping on the, on the kick pedal or something. I would imagine that 
it isn't, but it's still up in the air because I hear, I hear that little click, and when you hear a click, like the the best way I can describe this little click, is um, uh, I, I if there's any Metallica fans out there, there's the the difference between 1988's and Justice for All, and then there's the Black Album, right? Which came out in '91, and if you if you listen to Metallica's uh, very early '80s stuff from from '81 until '88, uh, you that's an acoustically recorded kit, 100%. And then you bring in the bat the Black Album, and and the drums just have this power to them, and that's what triggers do for for the non musicians who who are listening. I guess it gives everything um, on on the drum kit minus the symbols a picture perfect sound um and you can blend them too i mean i'm not gonna say it's his whole kit is triggered oh yeah no you can you can blend them for sure like there's there's metal bands i listen to that uh are so the the drum kits are so triggered that they completely sound artificial to the point where it sounds like you're using an electronic drum kit well i'm not even gonna gonna comment about razor's edge i think that's exactly drum loops drum loops and machinery exactly like i i know this is about ball breaker but the production on razor's edge like i don't even know what the fuck happened man horrible that was that was a joke that was a disaster of an album like if 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 the album was recorded better and had a better production quality to it the album would have been pure gold but like to this day i still haven't been able to listen to the full album and that kind of goes hand in hand. I mean, that's what makes Ballbreaker so special because it came out after Razor's Edge. Yeah, uh, like I said, Ballbreaker's my my favorite album, hands down. Like, uh, it's just it's just like I said, all killer, no filler. It's just a, an album with tons of energy. Like, The Fuhrer, Boogeyman, Honey Roll, Burning Alive. Like, the entire album is solid. Love Bomb, Hail Caesar. Of course, if you go back to the 80s, right, ACDC was a totally different band. Oh, for sure, yeah. Yeah, but like, to me, this is as close to that band, I guess, as uh, they could have gotten. This and um, and Black Ice, of course. Black Ice was great. Yeah, they, like these two albums really brought it back to the roots. You know, I, I always think too, I thought Flick of the Switch was back to like the Power Age kind of era a little a little bit if you were to think okay is the return okay the last album phil rudd was on was flick of the switch and the album he came back on was ball breaker so if you were to compare these two did rudd decline or did he get better from 1983 got way better i thought that ball breaker was heavily um reliant on on phil for sure I haven't I I haven't been listening to anything recent by ACDC. Personally, I wasn't a fan of Rocker Bust at all. Um, I don't know. I've listened to the album probably five or six times in its entirety, giving it a chance. I just can't get around it. I don't know. Uh, maybe it's the the difference with Malcolm or something, but I really have no clue. Um why i don't like it i don't know it's just i get a certain vibe from it that something is wrong but then again it's like i really enjoyed the album i think that they they came out and i don't think 
I think it would have been a star album, like a very, very good album on any other band, like on their discography. 100%, but because of the high quality that ACDC produces, minus Razor's Edge, um, you really don't, it, it really just doesn't compare to the rest of their albums, in my opinion. It's, it's a tough, it's a tough thing to do, especially late in your career. Well, like, think about the, the power Malcolm has. Like, I don't, I don't care what you say or anyone says. No one can replicate Malcolm's tone the way Malcolm did, right? It, it had the perfect energy behind it. Like, it, it had the energy basically ACDC needed. It's what made them thrive uh, was Malcolm. You know, he, he was the, the, the techie guy for the amps. He, he created, I'm pretty sure he created most of Angus Young's tones, if I'm not. Oh, for sure. It was him that got uh, Ken Schaffer in to, to give him that wireless device. There, there you go, right? So Malcolm had such an impact on the band. And yes, Stevie, like Stevie is doing an amazing, uh, amazing job, quote unquote, replacing him. But at the same time, it's not Malcolm. Yeah. Right? So when I when I think of that... It's just not not an album for me. I don't know. Like the the ACDC I know and love, Cliff Williams, Phil Rudd, Malcolm Young and Angus Young, and then Brian on vocals. That's the ACDC I know and love. And that's only because Bond's not here. Yeah, of course. But Bond even said himself, if if anyone were to were to replace him, it would be Brian. So it's like as close as as it's gonna get to to how Bond would have wanted them to carry on. Right take a break uh we'll play a single off ball breaker we'll play hard as a rock
Welcome back to ACDCFans.net. You're listening to David Scala, your host, and I'm here with Alan Donaldson. We're talking about Ballbreaker, one of the best ACDC albums in our opinion. Yes, sir. So we left off at the Phil Rudd return, and let's pick it up, the recording of the album. Okay. Um, you started off. Let's do this. First off, in 1993, I believe, to 1995, although the album was recorded in five months. So that was, from 93 to 95, was them writing material, researching studios, etc., etc. All that jazz. Um, now, what I, I can't remember what studio it was recorded at. The whole album was recorded at two studios, although the finished result, I would imagine, most of it was in the second studio, with maybe bits of the first studio. First studio was Record Plant Studios in New York. Yes. And it was really awkward. They couldn't get a good enough drum sound in that studio. So what, they, they basically just said, Okay, let's go to L.A., boys. Fuck this studio. Yeah, so they went down to L.A., went to Ocean Way Studios, and and finished off there. And like we said at the beginning, Ruben should have never produced the album. Uh, Malcolm has claimed to, to have done over 50 retakes on songs. Jesus Christ. Now... We have lots of praise for Malcolm. It does not sound on the album like they did 50 takes. It sounds like they just got five guys in a room and they just jammed the hell out of it. No, well, like, knowing knowing Malcolm with being the techie guy with the amps and, and getting their their tones perfected and stuff, it's not really surprising that, that Malcolm and, and Ruben would clash like that because uh, Ruben kind of just wants to... Uh, sign in, fucking do his shit and sign out. Like, he really doesn't care about the quality of albums, I find. Uh, um, that's what I've heard. Per- uh, that's what I've heard. And my personal opinion on that, if, if you like Ruben's recording style, kudos to you. But, um, you know, 50, 50 takes sounds about right to me. That's a lot. I mean... Oh, no, no, no. I, I'm fully aware. Like, uh, I've done retakes and stuff uh, while jamming with... Um, with friends and stuff and, and like recording stuff on a few albums but um yeah like it's it's malcolm you know what i mean malcolm was very particular with his uh with his sound and, and the way he wanted the band to sound right so yeah i would i would imagine though that, that would mostly take place during the setup stage because this album was actually produced uh, actually co-produced by mike frazier and he's like one of the highly respected engineers of all time. What album says Fraser produced? Well, he's done everything since Razor's Edge. Has he? Yeah. Wow. Okay. 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 That's not bad. Um, but what's he done like other other band material? Like, I, I just want to give the viewers, I guess, uh, an idea of his his other work besides ACD. He's done some Led Zeppelin box sets. He did the live shit Binge and Purge. He did Load and Reload, Metallica albums. Uh, he's done, I believe, yeah, he's done Airborne, No Guts, No Glory, which is my favorite album by Airborne. Yeah, so so this guy's got a pretty lengthy uh, resume. Aerosmith. Personally, I don't like Aerosmith, but 
they I, I respect their contribution to the rock and roll scene definitely um but yeah like the, talking about this album more I guess like you you, you really just oh, I don't know where I'm going with this guy <laughs> recover it's a good album that's what we just we have to get into why we love this album now because it is just fantastic the track listing I think there's like maybe two stinkers in my opinion. Yours is absolutely nothing. <laughs> stinkers. Yeah, I there's a couple of stinkers, but the rest I just love to death. You have the opening track, Heart is a Rock. Now, in my opinion, that is one of the best opening tracks on any of their albums ever. I'd, I'd like to uh, personally agree with the statement. Thank you, Scala. It's... I mean, it starts off with that like little little riff that kind of like gets a little bit higher, higher, higher. It's like low volume and then just starts really picking it in as soon as Malcolm gets his rhythm onto the lead, and then like it just that slow little by like Rudd, it just catches you in. Okay, let's talk about cover you in oil. That's one of those like stinkers. Not one. I wouldn't call it like. A real stinker because it has a pretty catchy riff and the chorus is really nice but it's just one of those songs that I never really got into fair enough and the Fuhrer I loved it I thought it, it should have been a single wait you love the Fuhrer Fuhrer was probably the second best song off that album it is Boogie Boogie I'm gonna give you my favorites off the album okay the Fuhrer Boogeyman Honey Roll Hail Caesar Love Bomb, Whiskey on the Rocks, Caught with Your Pants Down, Ball Breaker. It's literally all of the album but three songs. I absolutely hate Caught with Your Pants Down. I really don't know how you hate Caught with Your Pants Down. Like, in, in my personal opinion, the it's, it's happened before, you know what I mean? Like, literally someone getting caught with their pants down. I've had my mom walk in on me while getting my dick sucked. Like, it happens. And and the song is just full of this energy, you know what I mean? Every time I every time I hear this song, I think of a mass, mass horde of people just jumping up and down at an ACDC concert. Scala, how long have you been listening to ACDC? Well, it's got to be since 2003. What is that? So we're looking at 12, 13 years here. Yeah. Going on 13 years. I've listened to them maybe a year and a half, I want to say. Something like I that. I would say uh, a year and a half, two years. Year and a half, two years. Um, and Scala and I just recently, not recently, I guess when when ACDC tickets went on sale for the Rocker Bus Tour, I think that's what they're calling it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We were able to get tickets in four minutes. Four minutes, guys. Uh, and I don't know how we how we did it. It's probably because it's Downsview. Now, uh, we have some international listeners, right? Downsview Park in Toronto, Ontario, uh, is this huge festival gig. Uh, the ACDC, the Rolling Stones, um, and and a couple. I think it was one or two more bids. Guess who? Um, Blues Brothers. Yeah, there you go. They they played a SARS benefit gig here in 2003. Five hundred thousand people showed up. Probably more. Probably more. If you look up pictures of this con- uh, at this festival slash concert on Google Images, like it is fucking ridiculous. That's what we're expecting for this. We're we're expecting 
250,000 people plus because tickets haven't sold out yet. And they've been on sale since what, February? Yeah, I think February. February. The last time they came to Toronto, ACDC played two shows in 2008. I'm not, I, don't, I can't remember the exact dates. One sold out in 10 minutes, one sold out in five minutes. Now they played at the Rogers Center in Toronto, Ontario. The Rogers Center holds 60,000 people. That's nothing compared. Ticketmaster, I, I believe Ticketmaster crashed when we uh, when we bought our tickets, didn't they? Because your your brother got tickets as well, and it yeah. took him it took him like forty five minutes. Yeah, yeah. So our theory is Ticketmaster crashed for a bit, but um, yeah, just like we're we're super excited to see them live, and that's why we were talking about. Um, I guess live um, ball breaker needs to be played more in, in in our opinion. I'm gonna say for sure uh, because there's there's too many good songs to go unnoticed. If you listen back to the ball breaker tour and you listen to like Hail Caesar and the break when they're like like the all oh, Hail Caesar and it just goes wild like that is one of the yeah. best breakdowns ever. For sure, and like. I don't know. I, I think they should. Yeah, I'm gonna get hated on for this for sure in the forums in the comments. Um, play ball sucks live. It does. It does. I don't care what anybody says. It is. It should be dropped, and they should add a different song like Hard Times. I think they should add something off Ball Breaker. That's that's good too. Or or a Fly. They don't play a lot off Fly. They don't play a lot off their their later '80s albums. Which is a shame. Well, like. The, the whole uh, controversy over Fly on the Wall, too, uh, is the fact that ACDC changed their sound to fit the 80s, which a lot of people consider a quote-unquote sellout move. Um, I honestly think it was just ACDC trying something out. But yeah. me being a metal guy, I, I consider it metal, but not really considering I'm in, into a lot of heavier, heavier stuff. Um, it was still a phenomenal album when it comes to... Uh, like the 80s metal scene you know what i mean uh, i mean if, if let's say like like uh, metal church they released fly on the wall they would be up for so many awards exactly but because acdc released fly on the wall they were considered sellouts yeah and and it, it i believe it took them a long time to i guess get that reputation back of rock and roll acdc and it started with with razor's edge which I, I'm not even gonna go there. Razor's Edge. Maybe one day we'll have an episode just dedicated to how shitty Razor's Edge is. But for now, in our opinion, we we can't. Speak. In our opinion, yeah. But I I think Ballbreaker, the album we're talking today, came back right to rock and roll ACDC. One hundred percent. All right, so I think we're gonna end it off here. Speaking of live songs. We're going to end it with some live studio outtakes from the Ball Breaker sessions, most likely from New York. So stay tuned for that. And thank you, Alan, for joining me on the show today. It was a pleasure. Hopefully everybody else enjoyed it. Tuning in again, follow us on iTunes. Subscribe to us on Podomatic. And if you want to donate, click that nice PayPal button. You 100% know that it's going to go to better equipment, better shows, uh, 
in the future. So, here is Studio Takes from Ballbreaker. Yow! When in doubt, Brian, just whip it out. I was dating, I was dating the middle bit, man. Just play that for this one, just in case. Fucking brilliant. Down at the epicenter, things start. Down at the epicenter, things started heating up. That'd be a good one, wouldn't it? Rocking on the rank to scale. MTV unplugged. The Senate, I fucking honest. Undrugged. Fucking ten million things. When in doubt, leave it out. It's the surgeon's motto, isn't it? Whip it out. When in doubt, cut it out. 